Josephine. Hello, Miss Wendy. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm great. I'm sitting in the holidays. I welcome to the holiday season. Yes. In the Casa de Wendy. Um how was your thankful season? Are you thankful? I am I am thankful. I'm very thankful. It was very fun. It was wet because mm. it was raining here. I wouldn't know. I wasn't in the country. Oh, I know. She will talk about that <laughs> later. Bookmark that for later. I know. What are you thankful for? I am thankful. I was like, Wendy, do we want to talk about like people or art art things that we're thankful God for? Goddamn right we do. I yes. am thankful for Billy Porter. Mother Porter, we're thankful for you. I am thankful for Our Lady J. Yes. Who, you know, I mean, I'm just thankful for Pose in general, but mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, I am very thankful for Billy Porter. Mm-hmm. I am thankful for the newest addition to the royal family. Yes. Baby Archie. <laughs> Baby Archie. <laughs> Long um, may he, well, not rain. Long may he just, you know, be there. I'm also thankful for another season of The Crown so that we may better understand the royal family <laughs> and its roots. We'll get into that we later. We will get into that. Um, Who knew that I care about whales all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that you cared so deeply about the stuffy whites? Yes. You, we did know that you care about the I, stuffy whites. I love whites, the stuffy so. whites. Yeah. I'm I'm really grateful that Sean Spicer got kicked off of Dancing with the Stars. I mean, you know, eventually the universe, eventually, <laughs> eventually the stars, the aligned. light finds itself. Definitely. <laughs> All that to say, hello and welcome to Art Time of the Month. Yes. Hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, this is where we review the arts and menstrual needs of the month. Yes. Um, the heaviest of flows. I mean, November was a doozy. Will there ever be, was it, did we ever, have we ever had a very light flow? We have. We, we, we've had months that we've talked about where we've been like, this is going to be a real easy thing. And we still have shit to talk about for an hour and a half. So we're, we're going to, you know, gossipy Queens, but we have a really loaded list today to cover yeah, it's incendiary um, some would say incendiary some might say <laughs> uh so november was like a beast this is november 2019 this is november Everyone's time of pa- the month packing it in for Here before the end of the year they really are um Okay. Did you just say packing it in? Packing it in. Yeah, that I mean, was a super gay reference. Well, I mean, also turkey. You're packing. I mean, uh, you're packing it in. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> We're giggly and stupid. Um, okay, y'all, are you ready for the whoopee? Uh, can you do it in one breath? I I probably could. I have very like great diaphragmatic strength. Okay. <laughs> I really could. What a theater queen. Yes, I you. Okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm not going to do this all in one breath because I'm tired and jet lagged. But if I stay awake through this whole episode, it will be, <laughs> it'll be a Christmas miracle. I'll just be like, Wendy, Wendy. Wendy, are you awake? Wendy, are Wendy you wake awake? up. Wendy, start Wendy. talking about things. Okay. Um, all right. It was November. We're going to talk about a lot of things and out of order, mostly. Um, so we're going to start. With the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and talk about that. We have a lot of news items to cover. We're going to talk about, of course, the Glitter Sport finale of Dancing with the Stars and how the whole season unfolded. Um, We're going to talk about the Met Gala theme has been announced Mm -hmm. for May of 2020. Disney Plus was launched. And every screaming (laughs) Disney queen. (laughs) And I am not, I would not 
characterize myself as a Disney queen, <sighs> but it is for, I mean, I, I say that and, you know, you know, shake of head, <laughs> eyebrow Sh- raise. Eyebrow raise, uh, shake of head. I feel like everyone's inner Disney queen slash It's nostalgia. We'll get to out. it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get to, to it. it. We're going to talk deeply about Dolly Parton's America. Because we're just living just, in it. We are. It is her America, and we're here for the ride. Um, also, in conjunction with this podcast that has kind of, like, taken off and gotten a lot of notice, we're going to talk about heartstrings. Dolly Parton's heartstrings. <laughs> Joe is going to wax poetic about it. <laughs> we'll talk about a few moments of uh, Grammy nominations that have been that have come out and the Grammys aren't until February. Uh February, March, something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh and then Gabrielle Union got fired from America's Got Talent and this is no good. No. So we're gonna talk about that times up moment. We have a huge list of movies to talk about this month because we are approaching award season. Mm-hmm. So we'll go through that laundry list. We have a lot of T V to cover as well, including the Japan episodes of Queer Eye. Season three of The Crown. We had some live television to talk about. Um, there was some local theater happening. And then, of course, I saw it on a plane. Ah, uh, yes. Which is the new segment that we introduced last month. Yes. I saw it on a plane. <laughs> because we travel so much. And there it is, folks. So we're going to get right into it because we got shit to do. Let's do it, Miss Wendy. Let's do it, Josephine. Talk to me about the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. I did not watch all of it because I was making mac and cheese. How was your mac and cheese? First you know of all? what? I ruined the roux. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I mean, I started at like seven in the morning, so you know it was fine. But like, um, I didn't melt the butter all the way the first time around. Mm. I and then when I added the flour, I was like, oh shit! I knew I like. Ina Garten somewhere went like you knew you misstepped. Yeah, I Jeffrey messed up. Jeffrey is frowning on you. And it was like it looked like sugar cookie dough. And then Oop. I was like, okay, let me add the milk and see if I can salvage this. Mm-hmm. And then I said to my dad, you know, Dad, this is where you know Padma comes in and says to you, this is not good. And then you have to throw it out and start over. So we did that. Thankfully, That's, we had all the ingredients. It's a good choice. I'm yes. glad that the the powers of Padma. Came yes, to I was you like in Padma moment. and Tom Calicchio's you like summoned arrogant all place. of your top chef divas I along sure with did. the power of Ina. Um, but yes, I the one thing that I did manage to watch on YouTube later that I really enjoyed was the Tina Turner musical mm-hmm. performance because a they deserve they deserve a Tony just for doing that in the sub freezing cold New York bomb cyclone weather and. I wasn't mad at it. Like, her voice was very, is very powerful. And plus, uh, last week, last week, um, as of recording this, last week, Tuesday, was Tina Turner's 80th 80th birthday. birthday. So, happy birthday, Queen. Yeah. Tina, she's still doing it. Yeah. Um, Tina the Musical Mm -hmm. was in previews in London when I was there last time, like, sometime last year or the year before that. Um... And I could have gone to see it last minute, and I was like, meh, I don't need to, whatever. Um, but I'm glad that it's having a life and a moment on Broadway. Yes, very much. And that it was featured in a parade that's huge. Yeah. Um, all I saw of the parade was that they had to carry the balloons very low to the ground because the weather was so inclement. Yes. 
And I mean, you're hey, New York. You, I was like, that's your <laughs> that's your area. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember parades that were that windy in the past. Mm. I think I went to a parade once when I was like a very little girl. I went to one of the Thanksgiving Day parades and it's freezing. Um, but I don't ever remember the balloons flying that low to the ground. The pictures that I saw were like they were like body yeah. surfing on the <laughs> ground. <laughs> They were duck and cover. They straight they up were. were. They were like elbow crawling <laughs> yes. down Fifth Avenue. Yeah. So, oh, well. All right, New York. It's Tom Turkey. And Way it's to just... make shit work. There you go. Yeah, for real. Um, I feel like we can't, we can't deny our listeners any longer the need to, for us to discuss. I wonder how many people are actually watching Dancing with the Stars since we're talking about it. Or maybe they just don't feel I feel like if they need to they listen to us enough, they're like, Wait, I don't need to watch the show. Yeah. I mean maybe they'll just be like, Well, maybe I want to see James Vanderbeek's, you know, booty shaking. My question is, are we more entertaining than Dancing with the Stars? Yes, we we sure fucking are, without hesitation. And again, yet another season has gone by wherein we have not sat in that live audience no make that happen jenny bloom i'm looking at you (laughs) you know i have been called out i called you out jenny bloom you make that shit happen get us on dancing with the stars please thank you (laughs) she touched paula abdul she sure uh... (laughs) did anyway all right so dancing with the stars happened first of all before we get to the finale uh, there were some loaded weeks that happened leading up to the finale jesus starting with the Bobby Bones Clause finally took effect. Thank God. Finally. Thank heavens. So, Sean Spicer finally landed in the bottom two. Come sail away, Wendy. Well, I don't think that was that episode, but it was just... And then, Well, hold on. The, um, the dance-off stuff was uh-huh. really... was awful. Yes. <laughs> we were texting each other during that, weren't we? Well, well no, you were texting me, and you were, I was like... You're like, this is awful. I was like, oh, my oh, yeah. God, I can't wait it to watch really it at work. It was bad. It was. And then, and, that was, and then that was where I started, you know, because it's inevitable as, you know, the seasons change and the sun rises and sets. It's inevitable that somewhere along the line, Joe starts to lose interest and will start fast-forwarding yes. everything. Mm-hmm. And that happened when our girl Kate fucking left the show. I know. I'm super sad about that. I mean, they... They really should be giving, like, they should have, when they do the season. They should have been in the finale. Should have been in the finale. And when they do the um, the tour, they need to bring some of these people back for at least some of the night, some yeah. of the days. Because, yeah. like, Kate deserves to come back. Vanderbeek deserves to come back. They need to have, like, a saved clause mm-hmm. in the show where they bring back an un. An unjust eliminated contestant. Yes, they need a RuPaul. Unjustly like. <laughs> eliminated contestant. Yeah. They need the, like, surprise someone's coming back. Exactly. Episode. The Kenya Michaels of, like, you know, I'm yes. back. Yes. Yes. Because we needed Kate to return. And then, ugh, heartbreaking. We needed Vanderbeek for another week. So, first of all, Spicer eliminated Boohoo. We knew the second that he landed in the bottom two, we were going to be like, yay, finally. Finally. Deuces. Yeah. Like, that's exactly what the judges were waiting for. Um, and then the next week... Was the Vanderbeek elimination. Semifinals already. Which was stupid because it was like, at week one, everyone was like, Vanderbeek's going to be in the finale. He Done. just loves it so much. He and, loved it so much. And it that's so good. That's what's disappointing about it all. And 
um, it, it's just like, you know, Miss Alabama, whatever the fuck, her face was like, <gasps> like, yeah. Completely, I'm like, yeah, because he deserves he deserved to have the mirror ball trophy. It, he really, he did. deserves to at least be on the tour. Yes, it was so tragic, and um, obviously, like they had said, he said up front too when they announced his wife's pregnancy that like they had gone through some miscarriages, and he wanted to remove the stigma of that, and um, and so he wanted to be really open and honest about all of that, so that when they were pregnant, and they announced it on the show, it was a really thrilling and happy moment. Um, and then we land on this week of his elimination and he announced very publicly that they had lost their baby, which was so tragic because his wife was pretty far along. Yeah. She was showing. She was showing and it was very apparent. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, oh, she might be pregnant again. Yeah. And like miscarriage is so common and it's so not talked about enough and there's such a stigma about it, but. And it was so important that he spoke on it and that he showed up that week. And um, I don't know that many people could have done what he did that week in showing up and dancing. Yeah. Um, But in showing up and dancing, he obviously was like half there, obviously. Yeah. um, I mean to dance to to dance your disco cha cha to Jamiroquai oh God. and 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 have your fucking judge mentor be all up in your business. I'm like, yeah. dude, g- give him a fucking break. He like he he song and dance man that shit. Yeah, going through like this personal tragedy, and they didn't announce his personal tragedy until his second dance, mm-hmm. which also led me to believe like. Did the judges know what was going on with him? Probably not. I, I, mean, I don't think they did. I think they produced the fuck out of that moment because, like, they all seemed so shattered by that news and felt awful for having criticized him at all. Um, just, oof. It was yeah. so dark and really sad, like, deeply, deeply sad to watch. Yeah. And then also, like, there's Tom Bergeron just, like, desperately trying to, like, Keep the show moving, okay. And then Erin Andrews is just like an awkward, <laughs> shitty mess, and like, ugh. I wanted her. I, I was like, it oh was my god, hard. she's gonna it was say hard so- to watch. She's gonna say something like, "Well, I got five more." Like, I, I, I was just like, oh it my was god. really difficult to watch. And it was I was hard. I, I, I was like, okay, I can't watch this anymore. Um, and you know what? Uh, it kind of maybe have been a blessing for him to just mm-hmm. you know to go and, mm-hmm. um, because you know I, I so. It's this wouldn't be the first time that uh, this happened, and the judges like didn't know something significant. Uh-huh. So um, Chris Kattan, when Chris Kattan was on, and he wasn't the best, he wasn't the best contestant, but he was only on there for maybe two or three episodes. His season, he didn't tell anybody that he had had like really severe, like a neck injury, severe, mm. se- like and severe surgery on on it. Yeah. So that's why he couldn't like move his neck. So he couldn't do his like trademark yeah. bobbing Night yeah. of the Roxbury stuff. And I feel like if they had known that, mm-hmm. they may have been a little more lenient. Yeah. But at the same time, he didn't want it to be known. So I wonder if... I don't think I watched Chris Kattan's season. See, he was in it for just a blip. So, yeah. you know, you probably We didn't. always forget the early, the early elimination. The early eliminated contestants were like, oh, you were on that season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, it's very wheat from the chaff. And then mm-hmm. if they... And then you really just remember everyone who makes it, you know... Yeah. To the last, to the yeah, last yeah, half. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then we get to the finale, right? Mm-hmm. So the top four contestants are Kel. Uh-huh. Country Music Girl. 
Country Music Girl. Miss Alabama Bachelorette. Alabama Bachelorette. And, and then Allie. And um, Allie whatever from Fifth Harmony. Yes. Okay. I want to discuss Allie from Fifth Harmony's final dance. Wherein, who, who was her partner? Sasha. Whereas in Sasha straight up grabbed her by the beaver and like. <laughs> Sasha like, likes to grab people by the beaver. It looked like he was fisting her. Like <laughs> it was so graphic. He was like, he had her, like he was spinning her around like she almost like did a death drop. Except his hand was like up in her chach. <laughs> And it looked so inappropriate. Well, you know, Emma's very understanding. It was real fucking... I was like, where is his man? Oh, my God. But he did the same thing sort of with Tanya Harding. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Also, like... Uh, I really want I really want Sasha to get a Mirrorball trophy now. I know you do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I really am here. I mean, like. You're here for the pros. I am here. We know that. I am here for we Sasha. Because, like, he had Tanya Harding. He had um, the, you know, the Little Women LA girl that uh-huh. he, like. <laughs> I was like. Sasha is. Sasha's my guy. Yeah. It's your guy. Move away, Alan. I, I will say, though, that Allie from Fifth Harmony, like, really grew on me yes. throughout the show. Um, and <laughs> The like, haters told her she couldn't dance. I mean, but at the end, when all of, like, art, like, I was wildly wrong about who was going to end up in the finale. I think, I think, I think we, we all were. were right? Oh, we both were. Yeah. Because I thought it was going to be Vanderbeek and Kate, and I thought Spicer was going to end up in the finale, too. I mean, you know, the universe proved us wrong on that one, Thank but you. on uh, many other things as well. Yeah, but no, when we would ended not up with those it. top four, I was really then rooting for Kel, and I was rooting for Allie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel about who won? <laughs> I mean, I'm happy for Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So the Bachelorette still, Hannah won it. She still, like had like no emotion like she was still very pageant face the whole time she, and she was and i feel like maybe carrie ann had to like scale back those comments and then she <laughs> announced that like she's going to be returning to the bachelor house again oh she probably next being... season oh god that was part of like the package before she danced for the second time oh, or something see i did i don't i think i skipped that yeah so next <laughs> season on the bachelor she basically makes an appearance mid-season and comes back to the house again or something like oh. that. And then said something to the effect that was so disgusting to me. Something of like, I'm just desperate for a relationship or I'd do anything for a relationship. And I was like, ew, barf. No. No. No, thanks. Maybe mm. there's a reason that you're drowning in reality television right now. Stop it. Yeah. Let's focus on yourself, Hannah. Yeah, she'll be in season two of Dolly Parton's Heartstrings. I bet you. I bet. <laughs> I sure bet. Um. So anyway, she won. Blah, blah. Blah, blah. But Alan, who I'm convinced has always been fucking his partners, mm-hmm. I f- I'm pretty sure he fucked his partner. I think that he was he and Hannah were fucking. Would you agree? Uh, I mean, it became pretty obvious towards. It became pretty obvious the last like three episodes, but yeah. Yeah, I'm like Alan fucks his partners. There that I is. would love to be partnered with Alan. I one mean, day. if I was partnered with <laughs> Alan, I'd be like somewhere around week seven, we're gonna be naked together. You know, enjoy. I would I would prefer Alan to be partnered with Sasha or Keo, and then <laughs> and you know, but that's in the your queenie ass exactly. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, so there it is, friends. Dancing with the Stars, season 791. What did you send me that you were like? Oh, (laughs) there was an article that I sent Josephine that I read the other morning while jet lagged in like the middle of the night. I was wide awake and like 
scrolling and uh, there was an article about how the elimination system on Dancing with the Stars is still not working. How they included this new judge's choice clause. The Bobby Bones clause. Which we have been referring to as the Bobby Bones clause. And he's been there just with his shit-eating grin like, yep, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And how it's still not effective. The judging system is still not effective. Well, no, because when you're... It's still a popularity contest. When you're dealing with the public, mm-hmm. you know, you, you they haven't figured out what their Dancing with the Stars electoral college is going to be. They haven't. They really need to figure out the percentage. Like, how are you grading these papers? What has been weighted? Where's the curve? Where's the curve? Where is the curve? You know what they should do? And this just came to me. They should have the celebrities pick who's going to stay. Ooh, like so, in All Stars? Ooh. So, like, it'll, yeah, exactly. So, if you do the judge's choice, right, you get down to the three, mm-hmm. and then the celebrities can get to decide <laughs> or something like that. Mm. Because then at that point, it's that just like, like fucking brutal. They're already working their, their asses off, literally. I don't know. I, I, it'll be curious what happens in the next season. I think they're going to get to 30 and then be done. Really? Uh, well, I mean, just take a look. Just take a look at, like, who also. Spicer campaign the shit out of this. What they really need to do is they need to make it so that way it's live on both coasts and yeah. the West Coast can also yeah. uh, can also vote. Because yeah. to have Central and Eastern time zones only vote for this shit is bullshit. This is 2019, about to be 2020. Yeah. There's Figure no that reason. Out. Yeah, absolutely. Figure that out. I think part of why they kept it to the East Coast and Central time zones was because they were having the elimination within the episode yeah if they back in the day dancing with stars was a two-night event they had the whole day to tally votes from across the nation in all time zones um this is wherein the problem lies but again we're entering 2020 figure this shit out yeah because therein is the flaw with your voting system so whatever yeah moving on moving on thank you for another season of glitter sports um, the Met Gala theme has been announced. Oh, what is it, Miss Wendy? I'm about to tell you. In 2020, the first Monday in May, we'll be experiencing About Time, colon, fashion and duration. <laughs> Would you like me to read you a little bit about it? Uh, yes, but please do it as pretentiously as possible. I sure will. <laughs> The theme is inspired by the novels of Virginia Woolf and the theories of the early 20th century French philosopher Henry Bergson. All of a sudden, I'm like in my Julie Andrews voice. I was going to say, this is Mother Julie right here. This is Mother Julie. Um, Okay, so the 2020 Met Gala will be a big deal because it will mark the Met's 150th anniversary. The exhibition will feature 160 pieces of women's clothing from the past 150 years, bringing fashion from the past, present, and future. Wow. That's pretty dope. The show will be designed by Ez Devlin, who has created sets for the Royal Opera House and for Beyonce's Formation Tour. Okay. Wow. We're here for that. The actual Met Gala will be on May 4th, 2020. May the 4th be with all of us. Yes. And will be chaired by Nicholas... Gessierie of Louis Vuitton. I'm pretty sure I just butchered that name. Emma Stone, Meryl Streep, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Anna Wintour. Lin-Manuel is on the... He's on the board of the Met Gala this year, yeah. Oh, jeez. Yep. And there you go. So that is the theme that we'll we'll obviously be talking about. Oh, girl. Because I live... Who can get us there? (laughs) 
I live for a good parade of weird ass costumes. Oh my god! And also bring Madonna back, please. Yeah, Madonna was absent from last year's Met Gala, and I was wildly disappointed with that because, as I have said for the last two years on this podcast, the Met Gala is exactly Madonna's yeah. venue. It is exactly where she makes sense. Yeah. And the theme is about time. She knows all about that. Her face has been ravaged by it. Oh, so. my God. I would love to see Madonna show up to the Met Gala. Yes. In her, like, 1980 wedding dress. Crawling. Like a virgin. <laughs> yeah. Crawling out of that, like, shitty buku cake from the first MTV VMAs. I mean, yeah. There you go, Madonna. I just planned your Met Gala outfit for you. She's going to come back as Vogue VMA Awards. With, you know, with the fans and everything. With It'll the clackety-clack-clack fans, yeah. No, I want to see her in white lace, head to toe. I made it through the wilderness. Yeah, all of it. We need that. Um, okay. Disney Plus was launched. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> so Disney Plus is, uh, you know, Disney, um, the, everyone knows, uh, the large conglom- entertainment conglomerate. Uh, some would say Monopoly, uh, mm-hmm. they basically launched their own streaming service. And because they own the properties of Star Wars and uh, Marvel, um, the Marvel Universe, all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is on Disney+. Plus, and all of the Star Wars uh, major movies as well as TV shows are on Disney+, Plus as well. Mm-hmm. And they, But the biggest thing for, like, Disney fans is the fact that they have a lot of the vault open. So a lot of the Disney vault is no longer locked away. The vault door is wide open. And now you can watch Robin Hood, animated Robin Hood, animated uh, Great Mouse Detective. The Sword I, I, and the Stone. The Sword like and the, the Stone. Old, 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 yeah. Um, so much so that they even put a disclaimer in front of some of it where they're like, you know, it was a different time. There may be things that, you know... It's, you know, we were racist then. We're not racist now. <laughs> pardon our early 1940s racism. Yeah. Exactly. Pardon all the racism, um, especially with, like, some of the older shorts and things. But I mainly, I got it mainly because there's some original content that's coming that I really want to be a part of. Some of the Marvel Universe stuff that's going to be happening. But they also have a lot of, they have all the Disney Channel original movies, mm. which is what my jam is about. So, like, give me your Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. Uh. Give me your Quince. Give me your Smart House. Your Johnny Tsunami. You know, let me. <laughs> you just said so many words. That you have no idea. <laughs> it's like you're speaking another language. Oh, my God. I, I don't understand any of the words you just said. Disney Channel original movies are, like, mm-hmm. you know, one of the cultures that made me. Like, it is just, just um, you know, <laughs> amazing. Don't look under the bed. Give me True Calling where, um, <laughs> where Shia LaBeouf plays a kid with, like, autism. Like, give me, <laughs> give me, give me all of this. Give me The Color of Friendship about a uh, white South African girl who goes to live with a black congressman's family in 19, in apartheid times, but in Washington, D.C. And she learns about black people and their culture. <laughs> Give it to me! Which one was that called? The Color of Friendship. Oh, <laughs> and racism is solved. And racism is solved. Thanks, Disney. Yes, my favorite. Thanks, you know. Disney, who was a wildly racist person <laughs> himself. There you go. Give me... <laughs> It, my favorite, my favorite moment of the color of friendship is at the end when you know when the white girl is woke 
she goes up to their housekeeper and she shows her that she has the like you know resistance flag in her jean jacket <laughs> And she like, hey, black woman, <laughs> I understand your struggle. And then, you know, from from across time, Beyonce says, spirit. <laughs> Lord Jesus. But I encourage you to yes. somehow watch only one show. What show is that? Encore with, Chris, with Kristen Bell. Yeah. And I really want you to watch it because I started, I haven't. I, I'm trying to wait for like a Christmas break to really deep dive mm-hmm. into it and get a few more episodes because they're actually they're doing this thing where they're actually releasing uh, fairly regularly, so they're uh-huh. not they're not dropping all of them at once. They're okay. re- on a regular schedule. But um, Encore is about they take people who back in you know their high school days in like the '90s or the '80s or whatever they uh, performed in their high school musical, and then they bring them all back to do it again. Oh, I love that so much. And um, the best thing about it is that like you you can really tell the people who like you know they have not dealt with anything. They have not dealt. <laughs> My favorite, so so where I'm Did at, right? Did they peak in high school? They peaked in high school. Uh-huh. It was one is like high school was the greatest time of my life, and I was like, oh, it can we can see. <laughs> so the first episode, <laughs> if nothing, the first episode takes place at Santana High School here in San Diego County, which Santana okay. High School is in my high school district where I grew, where I went to high school. So I know exactly where it is. I'm very familiar. All of those people, I'm like that. All makes sense. They all look <laughs> very Santana. Um, and, uh, one of the moments it's like, oh yeah, you and so-and-so were like, you know, you guys were like inseparable in high school. What happened? Well, I haven't seen her since high school. Dun, dun, dun. And then like, they bring out some director. Cause like, you know, they're, you know, they're also New Yorky theater people that uh-huh. come in and, and she's like, hi, my name is so-and-so. And I, I directed the revival, the revival company of Ragtime on Broadway. And I even got nominated for a Tony. And I'm like, ah, where is Wendy to watch this? <laughs> All right. Where is Wendy to watch this? Where am this? I? Yep. Okay, I'm down. I will I will score someone's Disney Plus pass. <laughs> wink, wink, Josephine. Uh, and I will somehow access that show. I, I'm, just, I'm just telling. That is your homework. File that under homework. File that under homework. Listen, unlike you, I am good with homework. Because these people are not professionals. <laughs> and... Can you and you know it's the first musical is Annie, so oh, they do a montage of them shit. singing tomorrow. You know where I'm going with this. Do they show footage of the original production? Yes, they do. They oh even God. they even wheel out their drama teacher from their theater Shut teacher, up. and she like thinks she's going to direct, and the director's like, "No, you're going to be in it. You're going to be um, the housekeeper <laughs> in Annie." Up. And like the gayest, the the, the gayest like set like assistant director, like I, it's like hi, I'm so and so, and I'm your choreographer. Woo! And she does like a flourish. I'm like, Shit. this is like some waiting for Guffman bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I live for that. Okay, all right, I'm down. I will do it. Okay, I'm there. I'll do Encore. It. <sighs> Encore. I've also been watching Smart Guy, which is Taj Maori's uh, vehicle where he plays a kid genius. Uh, T and Tamara Maui's brother. Yes, uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, and it has a. There's one episode where he does a tap dance number for a four member b- uh, group b- group known as Destiny's Child, where a young Beyonce Knowles uh, falls okay. in love with his older brother. Oh my god! But you know, just saying. Oh my god! I know. Maybe oh, I am a Disney queen. <laughs> I, you are. This is what Disney Plus has done. It has made all of the world be like. Maybe I am that person. Maybe I am that person. You are that person. I'm here to tell you, yes, that's you. 
That was you. You did that. I will live my life proudly now. There you go. I also wonder, when when do people, and by people I mean you, when... (laughs) Sorry. When do do you have the time to watch all of these shows? Like, Oh, oh, a lot of that was just first... Well, a lot of what I remember was Mm -hmm. first run. Like, so I remember this from when I was, like, a kid. Uh Uh-huh. And it just formed that, you know, I was, you know, a young kid on an island thirsting Uh for, like, you know. That's true. For white nonsense. So (laughs) (laughs) you were. But. And for people who understand race relations. Exactly. And I was, like, (laughs) I was, like, all the people where I'm from look like me. What? There's white people in Africa. What? What is that? They're nonsense? not in, and they're in charge. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. So have you revisited all of these films? No, no, oh, I have not. not. Okay. No, that's what the that's what the winter break is for. Got it. But okay. I'm like, I mean, you best believe it's in a queue somewhere. It is. <laughs> and you're just gonna go into that hole? <laughs> well, because I'm just like, oh, so I did watch I did watch the straight to video uh sequel to Aladdin, Return of Jafar. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I know all these songs. And then I realized, like, no, I can't just casually watch things on Disney Plus. Uh-uh. If I'm going to be nostalgic about it, I actually need to watch it, watch uh-huh. it. Because there are, like, it was bad. Like, yeah. Jason Alexander is the voice of a character named Abismal. Oh, shit. Like, <laughs> they could have put that disclaimer on that. And that was only in the late 90s. Yeah. But, oh, damn. you know. Whatever. Disney Plus. Long. It will rain forever. All right, Disney Plus. For all of you who didn't know that you were screaming Disney Queen until now, <laughs> let's let that be its tagline, its advertisement. Um, okay. I need to talk about Dolly Parton's America. Go for it. Um, somebody clued me into this. One of my good, good friends was like, have you listened to this? It's kind of amazing. And I'm like... I am not a country music person at all. Are you a Dolly Parton person, though? I have not been until recently. Mm-hmm. I am here for Dolly Parton, the actress. Okay. Like, I've always loved everything she's done. Nine to Five, Steel Magnolias. Like, everything I've seen her perform in. I'm like, she is a really honest actor. She's really, really great. Um but as far as music goes, I think that part of my brain that's always just been like, Wah, country music, whatever. Wah. But this podcast is phenomenal in that it, it kind of sheds light on this, like, magnificent, like, revelation that is Dolly Parton and how she has broken all these barriers through between politics, between, like, all of the different communities and like her super right wing fans and her drag queen fans and like bridging the gaps between all of these kinds of people who all come together for this one common love of this woman Mm -hmm. and her music. Um, And all I knew of her was that she came from like a cabin in the woods, but like, you know, like has kind of just like, like she's part of like the old guard to like, you know, really just be this warrior and kind of like break through some, some amazing, amazing, like she just has such an amazing story. Yeah. Um, so hearing more of her story, but in the context of like a social political context is really fascinating. And I think that this podcast and the way that they've broken it down episode by episode for like phases of her career, the episode about Dolitics uh-huh. specifically was like oh, yeah. fascinating to me and how she really does like, 
she does not take sides. Like she has her beliefs, but she will never speak on them publicly. And because she's like, I know what's going to happen. She I will. Knows she'll be crucified she, one way or the other. She's going to alienate people. And she will. And they also like she spoke about what happened to the Dixie Chicks mm-hmm. and how that was a really terrifying moment in pop culture history because all of a sudden it was like artists didn't get to speak their mind without having their careers crucified. And shut up and sing, right? Shut up and sing, especially if you're a country artist. And where where are the Dixie Chicks today? Yeah. Like, we think they recovered from that, but they never bounced back fully. No, I think, I, I think we'll see, to speak on that for a minute, I think we'll see their renaissance when they release an, an album of new music, because uh-huh. I know they're still touring. Uh-huh. Um, I think that Beyonce pulling them up on the stage at the uh-huh. CMAs really helped. Uh-huh. But I... I think it's. I think we're at a political moment where it's probably not the best. The for CMAs them. were pissed that Beyonce was there. Mm-hmm. They were like, "No, we don't have a black girl on our stage, even if she is Beyonce." Because what did she sing? She sang "Daddy." She sang "Daddy." Um, oh God, uh, God. My daddy uh, said, "Shoot, like that one." Yeah, she sang the the daddy one. Yeah, the country song, on, which was a country on song on Lemonade, and she's from fucking Houston. She's from fucking like, Texas, yeah, exactly. Black people listen to country a, exactly. like <laughs> a lot, and yet the the population of the CMA was were like quite adamantly against her being there. It was yeah, that's a whole other mm-hmm. shit show. But regardless, Dolly Parton's America. daddy lessons. Daddy lessons. Sorry, Daddy I wasn't going to let yeah. that pass without Thank you. Daddy lessons. honoring the queen. Um, um, okay, Dolly Parton's America. What are your thoughts? Um, I I really like it because it shows it shows how you can you can have this person who the connections that it's making. Like what really stood out to me is like how the music is being translated. Like is affecting people in like Kenya. Like and how they're connecting with it, and yeah. what is it about? What is it about Dolly Parton singing "My Tennessee Mountain Home" that makes like that resonates with this artist in Kenya to perform country music? Mm-hmm. And you know, it, I, I thought that was just really—they're doing a really great job of weaving that all in. Mm-hmm. But then also, I think the biggest takeaway for me, and this is something that happens in a, in one of the in the in the first few episodes, is that there is that significant difference between someone being a uh, a feminist with a label and then a feminist in practice. Uh-huh. And she's just like, I'm just doing what it is that I do. And if you can, you can add a political bent, you know, to it, but this is just what I do. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. And she's letting her actions speak louder than her words. Yeah. And her actions are words. It, it, exactly. You and, know, and which it, is kind of the genius of all of this in that her practice of creating music has inherently been political, right? She has yeah. spoken about abortion and poverty and feminism and all of that. Like, she has sung about all of it and written yeah. it. And but, like, also been, like, yeah. a woman of very devout faith. Uh-huh. And, and it's, like, again, it's, like, it's also constantly challenging, like, my own beliefs about things. And, uh-huh. and it's just, like, wow, this woman is such devout faith, but I do see her as an ally. Mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of like liberal gays really got mad at Taylor Swift in the like right after the 2016 election because she didn't really come out one way or another uh-huh. for fear of like alienating people. But she was, but she just didn't. She was very vague about it, and she didn't like not like Dolly, where Dolly just takes a stand. I don't talk about politics. 
And then she comes out and it's like, you know, a little too little too late. But I saw how people crucified her. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, wow, with Dolly Parton, you know, she has this like, you can go to a Dolly Parton concert and have drag queens and like gay men and um, and like these, you know, really also red state left right wing people. Um, The last thing I'll say is that the uh, the episode where she's talking about Jolene um, yes. And sh- and the statistic about, like, the highest concentration of, like, queer people, like, live in southern states. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, that's insane. Uh-huh. Because I, I want to, I, I kind of want to read up a little bit more about that because I would have never thought that. Um, yeah, it makes me want to know more about, like, everything about her. Yeah. In like even just the the way that they broke down like the songs that she grew up listening to about like the women murdered and things like that and like being beaten by husbands like that shit's really dark yeah and, and where so, that all comes from like yeah. these old Appalachian songs come from British like folk songs yeah and- so like there's so much intelligence and history behind the roots of her music and like her struggle and how she's kind of just come out on top from all of that. Um, I'm looking up a a thing that I saw. I'll vamp a little bit. Featuring her. Nope, no. I got it. Oh, got there it. we go. I'm here and we're here. Hello. Okay, here it is. So Reese Witherspoon did this series called Shine On. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. On Netflix, uh, and it's episodic, and it's basically just she wanted to interview women that inspired her and mm-hmm. and had really exciting careers and stories and stuff. And the first episode is with Dolly Parton. And so it's just this conversation between Reese Witherspoon and Dolly Parton and Dolly Parton's like inviting her into like her closet. Look at all my beaded gowns and shit like insane. And then look at my chapel that I have in my house. And um, she really is that charismatic and she knows how to give interviews. She knows how to diffuse tension. She knows how to make a boob joke. She is masterful. She's masterful at cutting the tension. Um, which is talked about so much in Dolitics in that one episode, which I just, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's fascinating. And, and, and you know what? This is why I, goddamn treasure. This is why I give $8, uh, $8 a month to WNYC specifically, because they are making content that is really thought provoking uh-huh. and they're pushing the boundaries of podcasting uh-huh. in my, like the, you couldn't do this. I don't think it would be as effective as a, um, as a television show or as uh-huh. a documentary series, it works better as a podcast because it's also very intimate. Like it's a very intimate conversation, especially with how the host Jad Abumrad knows, like is, is introduced to Dolly Parton yeah. and all of that connection. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, how is this like immigrant doctor from Iran yeah. um, going, like what is he going to have in common with Dolly Parton? And it's like, they actually have a lot in common. A lot. Yeah. So, it's Watch, uh, listen to it. Please listen to it. Yeah, it's really, really great. Um, and by extension. <laughs> and by extension, <laughs> give us a little sound bite on what Heartstrings is. So Heartstrings is uh, a anthology series. Every episode is an hour long, and it is a self-contained story. Um, they don't connect, um, at least that I saw. They don't connect. Mm-hmm. But each one is uh, inspired by... And or based around um, a Dolly Parton song. Oh God! So it's just a whole series of like 
tacky crap Hallmark yeah. movies. Yeah. Well, because so base so it starts out with Dolly Parton at Dollywood, of course. Mm-hmm. She's like, "I'm here at Dollywood, blah blah blah, Dollywood, Dollywood, Dollywood," uh-huh. and she talks about. Um, she talks about how she introduces the story and like, you know, and a little bit about the song that inspired it. She maybe will sing a little bit of it and then it will be a motif in the in the entire show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not like a one for one translation of the song. Uh-huh. Um, it is very interesting. Like there's this one episode called Cracker Jack, which is about her dog. It's about a dog named Cracker Jack that okay. was her best friend. And like... It, the the episode really like the dog is a tertiary character compared to like <laughs> you know the real the real story is the friendship of these four women like <laughs> oh. and it's it's just like it's what everybody who loves Hallmark movies and like Touched by an Angel love about those particular mm-hmm. the, that particular type of there's media. a market for it absolutely and I have to tell you like this one is it's playing to both things because it's like it's heavily Jesusy Lord it's a lot of Lord uh-huh. but it's also a lot of woke uh-huh. like it's a lot of you know you know talking about non-binary people in like. Okay. In like a in like the like expositional way was like well that's a term for a non-binary blah 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 and I was like uh. God bl-. I was like <laughs> I was like this is so forced but God bless it because there are people who are gonna watch this God bless it though because all of Middle America is seeing that exactly every red state is gonna see that and let me tell you the names that are in this shit are Please you ready go. Melissa yes. Leo she got an Oscar okay Melissa Leo is in this Delta Burke yes she is Delta Burke is in this. Yes. Yes. I mean, in bo- I mean, what's re- what remains of Delta Burke is sure. in this. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other people that uh, that you may have recognized from you know various uh, television shows at throughout um, throughout time and space. But those are the two main names that I want to mention. Good to know, and Dolly, of course, and Dolly, of course, Cameron Manheim. I mean, can do no wrong. <laughs> Cameron Manheim is in this. Love She's her. in the episode that made me cry. Ah, uh, you cried. Yes, you I cried d- at heartstrings. Oh my god! It was the episode based on Down from Dover. You queen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So oh my. you I all should it. watch it, if not for just the like warm the the salve on the soul just that it is. Warm fuzzies. You get yourself a hot mug of apple cider. <laughs> exactly. Put some rum in it. <laughs> Put some hoochie, some ro- yeah, moonshine. You wear your best sequin gown and you watch that. Yes. Oh my. Um, America's Got Talent. Do you watch this show? No. I don't either. Um, no, I have enough talent for America. Yes. <laughs> I I think I've seen, like, an episode here or there, like, because mm-hmm. my niece and nephew, when they're stateside, they like to watch that shit. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, fine, I'll watch it with you, whatever. Um, they love the dancing, I bet. They, I bet. Um, so Gabri- this season, Gabrielle Union and Juliana Huff were brought on as judges in lieu of former contest uh former judges Heidi Klum and Mel B have yes. left mm-hmm. the show uh so they brought on Gabrielle Union and Juliana Huff um and who is in heartstrings i think she plays Jolene there she is okay um so here is how this went down apparently news broke on November 22nd that um that both Juliana Huff and Gabrielle Union would not be returning. Mm. Yeah. Um, A day later, 
A report by Variety rec uh, claimed that while working on the show, Union had expressed, Gabrielle Union had expressed concerns over racially insensitive situations during her time as a judge, including a joke that Jay Leno um, apparently had made during a guest stint Oy. as a judge uh, that was later edited out of the episode. And the, the joke was something to alluding to, I'm going to go ahead and read this, sources on the series told the outlet that he joked that the dogs in this act that they were judging looked like something that one would find, quote, on the menu at a Korean restaurant. <gasps> no! Alluding to the stereotype that all Asian people eat dog meat. So multiple people who were on the set during the joke, Variety reported, included, including one Asian staffer, were offended and made uncomfortable by it. So Gabrielle Union then reported to producers, and apparently she really pushed producers, to uh, report the joke to HR um, and in an effort to bring awareness to the problematic issue. Um, despite her push, several insiders told the outlet that it was never addressed by HR, and it was a, the joke was eventually cut by producers from that August 6th episode. Um, Anyway, as a result of all of this, as Gabrielle, like, reporting things that were inappropriate, situations that made her feel uncomfortable, she also said that she was, like, constantly um, given excessive notes on her physical appearances. Um, and all of that, apparently, she was told that her ever-changing hairstyles were, quote, too black for AGT's audience. Oh. Um, so she was, she was reporting all of this stuff, and, uh, and she was let go. Uh, mm -hmm. So now unions are involved, and agent reps, and all of that stuff, and people are looking into it. But well, um, mm. there's been an outcry of support, namely from, like, Ellen Pompeo, Deborah Messing, uh, white actors who work for... Uh, NBC, ABC, uh, Ellen Pompeo was the first person to speak up and be like, NBC is doing some disgusting shit. And the network that protected Matt fucking Lauer for all of those years is doing this shit again. You know, and how yeah. dare you, like, like as, as white women, how do we stand by and say this is okay that this is happening or it's not my issue? God it is love absolutely her. our issue to stand by our yeah. sisters and say, no. God love her. Yeah. So, like, really good and, like, way to, you know, use your privilege and your position mm -hmm. uh, to to be an ally and an advocate. And so that is what is going on. Um, time is up, y'all. Yeah. I mean, you know, not for nothing, in this season of, in this particular television season, uh, they canceled Sunnyside with Cal Penn, uh -huh. and then it found it's finding new life on streaming on Hulu. Mm -hmm. But you know you're gonna you're gonna cancel the one show that is led by an entirely like per people POC cast, uh -huh. <laughs> and you know, like it's the optics of those things yeah. that look really bad. And yeah. it's just at the very at the very least, someone someone somewhere was like, no, fuck it, we don't care about it anymore. But yeah. like, no, you're gonna care now because. Now that you have that stink on you, and especially with Ronan Farrow's book and everything, mm -hmm. like, there's no way. Mm -hmm. There's no way. I'm glad you mentioned Ronan Farrow's book because I was going to chat about this later, but I feel like now is an appropriate time to talk about ah, it. Ah, transition. I would like to uh, introduce a new segment called I Read It on a Plane. Ah. I Read It on a Plane. And it was Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. So I audiobooked the shit out of that. Mm -hmm. um, I was on an 11-hour flight to Munich. And then 
had a really long layover in Munich and um, and then was connecting to Rome. And so I was like, now's the time for this audiobook. Um, we talked a little bit about this last month that the book was coming out, but neither of us had read it. Um, I was curious to see kind of what this was. And obviously this is the unraveling of the Weinstein scandal, not even scandal, just criminal life that he has led. Mm-hmm. Um, but the extent of investigative journalism that Ronan Farrow, uh, like masterfully executed, um, to bring that to light, to bring the abuses to light, and then to craft this book was really, really impressive. Um, in addition to Weinstein, what was then all connected was NBC, Matt Lauer, yep. mm-hmm. Trump, the hookers. Like, it was all connected, and it was all top-down from Weinstein himself. So, like, Weinstein was the person who was giving money to the people and the candidates and the, you know what I mean? Like, he was in such a position of power and clout and money and status that he was able to, like, he had people in every pocket of city government, national government, news networks, et cetera, et cetera. That is is gross. It was crazy. So... While Matt Lauer himself was like checking in with Ronan and being like, "Yeah, how's that piece going that you're working on? Oh, that's really great." Blah blah. blah. Like, anytime Ronan Farrow was talking about he was working on this Weinstein mm-hmm. thing, it made people at NBC nervous because people at NBC were being paid by Weinstein and they were to catch and kill. Yeah, yeah. they were nervous, and so, um, and then sure as shit, like all of the Matt Lauer crap came out and. Um, so it's all connected to see like to see that whole network covering things up and making poor decisions in terms of like protecting their really criminal shady ass men in lieu of protecting their the women who are making them money as well like um it's all connected and so yeah. to see this this coming down from Gabrielle Union kind of connected to that book uh, and, and you know who probably read that book? Gabrielle fucking Union. She probably read that shit out of that I book. I hope she did. Yeah. Um, but Ronan Farrow, like, pulled no punches. I mean, he talked about his own family shit with his sister um, and the sister's allegations against Woody Allen. Um, he talked about it all. And uh, it was a really interesting read. Mm. So. Okay. Um, all right. So we are moving into movies. Yeah, we're news is done. The news is done. My God, I feel like we've been talking for a million years already. Um, we have a lot of movies to cover, many of which I did not see. No, this month. I have seen movies. You've now. seen like everything. I've seen all the movies You've now. Seen all the damn movies. Yeah. So let's start with American Son, which came out on Netflix. I have been talking about this for a long time on this you podcast have. because I you saw have. it on Broadway. Mm-hmm. On stage. It was one of the most powerful experiences I've had in a theater period in my life. Um, And I have, for that reason alone, I have not seen the Netflix film because I kind of want that experience of of being in that theater to kind of remain singular. Um, But I've heard that a lot of people who have seen the movie have have mixed thoughts on that. So go ahead. Well, they definitely, they definitely tried to, it's definitely a film. So, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's even staged as if it's like a set, like a, mm-hmm. it's, you know, they're, 
that kind of perspective, that thrust perspective of a theater. Um, there are things that like, as they're delivering certain lines, I'm just like, oh, this probably would have played inter- more interest, played out more d- uh, differently in a Broadway theater uh-huh. to have people react. Because, you know, that's the other thing is that the audience is the other character. Yeah. They're reacting to certain things in the moment. Yeah. And, like, they were able to be, I, I, having not seen it, the stage production at all, I felt like they were able to be um, vulnerable in certain places. They were able to illustrate, like, when they were, you know, talking about things in the past and Mm-hmm. Um, Carrie Washington is talking about um, like how she's not had a good night's rest her entire life, mm-hmm. and they're able to show that and 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 all of that, and it's just it's very interesting how that all played out. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I I I enjoyed it. I did not. I I, I thought the ending was very surprising. I will not spoil it for anybody no. who is thinking about watching it uh, because it should be watched. Um, and if you have children, if you are a person of color and you have children who are people of color, uh, um, hold them tight and mm-hmm. maybe don't watch it with them, or maybe do and then have a conversation. But just you know. Keep that in mind. I had a friend tell me that she watched American Son like late one night and she was like holding her nine month old, um, yeah. her nine month old daughter and like sobbing um, as well. So, yeah, uh, I thought there was very a lot of layers, but I, overall I enjoyed it. But it was one of those instances where I was like, I appreciate them bringing the story to a wider audience, uh-huh. but I hope that it doesn't discount theaters who want to still do it on stage because I think there's a lot that can still be I would agree with that. Um, I think that because that show, like I said, when we talked about this after I had seen it last year, like there were so many producers on that show, on that stage show. It takes so much money and so much work to get a show on Broadway. And that story had so much backing from black producers and black artists and uh, producers of color who believed in that story and who needed to see a story like that told on the great white way. And because it's an important story to be told and I've never seen a program with pages and pages and pages of producers on it like that. Um, And, and rightfully so like a story like that would not have otherwise made it to Broadway. No. Um, So putting it on Netflix as a result of that um, is again, that like, the way to reach a wider audience. I'm not a big believer in filming theater. Like I don't think that theater translates to film very well. Um, cause they are completely different mediums, but, but the content of that story needing to be seen in places where people wouldn't otherwise see it or hear it or see themselves in it. Um, again, really important. I, I'm of the I'm always of the mindset that if you're going to adapt something for a different medium, then you need to just go all the way. Uh-huh. You just can't like you know, you yeah. just can't do it half ass. Yeah. And I'm curious that I I probably I would like you to like maybe look at it uh-huh. one day and just see if like how they have it set up in that police station uh-huh. if that's what it looked like on I Broadway. I have seen some images of it, and yes, that is wow. Okay, well then, yeah, it's it's just that one like. That room. Waiting room. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was mm. the whole set. It never changed. It never moved. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate people bringing it to the, to the wider stage, but again, like it's, it, 
it's a story that needs to be told and you because of the subject matter and because it is so the the dialogue is so good and so biting and their mm-hmm. performances are so great like to have those many producers it's like they needed to make sure that it got told in the way that the it got right told way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah 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 um harriet came out this month and you and i did not see it yet i feel like i'm going to see that later this month when i kind of go through like screeners for award season i will mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. be seeing it but um didn't get to see it yet um I would like to talk about the Irishman for a short moment. <laughs> yes, Harriet will have its moment. I would like to talk for about now. the Irishman for three and a half hours, please. Yeah, uh, I I saw the runtime on that. It's oh a long, my god, long, long movie. Was that one of the legs of your trip? It was. It was. <laughs> I downloaded it. I watched it on the way back to the states, uh, and it was three and a half hours of an eleven-hour flight that I watched it. Um, so it was, I, you know, I was in the perfect setting to, to take on a viewing like that. Yeah. And I was able to kind of like stop and start and take bathroom breaks and all of that. But um, this movie, when I told Joe that I watched this movie, he said, are you 70? <laughs> <laughs> and I meant like when you started, were you the age that you are now? And then when it ended, are you 70? Uh-huh. Not implying that only 70-year-old oh, people. Oh, see, and I read it like, I heard it like that. But, but now... I get it but because now you get it because <laughs> my seventy year old parents <laughs> were the ones who were like, We saw the Irishman and oh it's gonna be the movie to beat this year. It was the best. Oh my god, it was so great and the performances were amazing and all that and I was like, Okay <laughs> let's calm that down, Mike and Lorraine. I I I, I do love Mike and Lorraine, but uh-huh. I respectfully Having not seen it, I respectfully disagree. I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, a lot of the things that Mike and Lorraine get behind, (laughs) I have wildly different artistic opinions about. Um, But, for example... They like Green Book. I'm kidding. They liked Green Book. (laughs) I actually was joking. I didn't know if they saw Green Book. (laughs) Of course they did. Of course they saw Green Book. And they liked it. Also, they saw the Won't You Be My Neighbor, Mr. Oh, Rogers movie, uh-huh. which, again, I have also not seen yet. Um, but I absolutely need to. Have you seen it? No, but okay. I kind of I want to watch the documentary first because I haven't seen the documentary oh. in full yet. So. Oh, I've seen the documentary. Yeah. Like, several times. Um, but my dad said, eh. I said, how was the Tom Hanks movie? He goes, eh, it, was, it was good. I thought it was a little slow. And I was like, Dad. Slower than the three hours of The Irishman? <laughs> Dad. Yeah. I was like, let me remind you that Fred Rogers himself was kind of slow. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm like, okay, so don't fault the man for just being who he was. Shut up. You watch The Irishman, whatever. Anyway, here are my thoughts on The Irishman. The same group of old white men are going to make the same movie about Italian mobsters over and over and over again. And as far as I'm concerned, the only one that matters is The Godfather. Yeah. So there's that. This one was a little different because it was contextualized in the um, the 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 unions, the labor unions, uh-huh. the trucking unions, and stuff. Because Jimmy like, Hoffa is a character, right? Jimmy Hoffa is a character, and that I didn't know that much about. Um, so yeah, Al Pacino plays Hoffa, um, and I just they did some cool things digitally with aging and making De Niro look younger and. And Joe Pesci looking younger and all that. But, like, 
But she knows even Scorpio. then, like they still looked yeah. too old to be. Yeah. In this movie. But you know what, Scorsese? The Marvel films aren't cinema, right? I guess so. But, you know, three and a half hours of The Irishman. I mean, old Italian men are going to be old Italian men. They're going to think what they want. I can say this because I am an old Italian man. (laughs) What's hilarious to me is that, like, the iconic characters that De Niro has played are only a handful of them Italian. Um, Mm. Jimmy the Gent in Goodfellas is Irish. He's he's half Irish, half Italian, but they call him the Irishman. Um, this guy is the Irishman. He um, Sam Ace Rothstein is Jewish. In mm-hmm. um, in yeah, it's just it, I'm sorry that that to me is you know mm-hmm. yeah, but he won the Academy Award for for Godfather too. Yes, you know wherein he only spoke two lines of English in that whole movie. It was mm-hmm. all Italian, so um, it's you know it's. It felt kind of formulaic to me. It felt really long and epic. And then I started reading all the stuff, that, like the arguments for and against it being a miniseries, that it should have been episodic, ah. that it should have been a four-point thing. And so, like, there was something published about, like, here are the t- if you want to watch it as an episodic thing, here are the times that you should stop and start for episode one, two, three, and four. Um, and that was kind of interesting to me. But then I read Scorsese himself, uh, his rebuttal to that, the argument for why it should not have ever been a miniseries and it wasn't even ever a thought in his head that it would be okay. because then the last half hour of it would not be as emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think the last half hour was that emotional. So I don't Well, you know, Marty just wants another Oscar, right? I mean. Well, it took him long enough to get the first one. Yeah. So mm, he's trying for a second. But there it is. There's my take on the long, long, long Irishman. If you are on a long... It crossed intercontinental flight. And you want something to pass three hours? You need to kill a lot of time on a flight. Go ahead and download The Irishman and watch that shit. There you go. There you go. The Irishman. It was all right. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that, like, moved me deeply. We'll see what happens when the nominations come I wasn't as thrilled about it as my parents are, apparently. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was everything. No, it was not. Calm it down, (laughs) friends. (laughs) Calm Scorsese it, speaking right to calm them. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, okay. You saw a slew of films that I, I did, did I did see a slew of films. This was, this, November was a perfect storm of, like, going to see, going to, like, drive-in movies and then, like, waiting out movie, waiting out traffic in really, really mm-hmm. bad days seeing movies. Um so, yeah, so I, I did see a lot of films, and I'm at the point where it was like, you know what? There are films that are coming out that are that are going to be nominated for awards. I do want to see those yeah. in theaters. And I remember what it was like when the year of The Shape of Water, when, it, when that was out, and I was just like, it was, I felt so, like, I felt better informed. And I want to feel better informed this year. The Shape of Water was another thing I saw on a plane, and I was like, meh. I mean, you know, it was beautiful. <laughs> it's another another masterful director doing a, doing a man movie. I know. <laughs> That'll be Miss Wendy's uh, ra- round table. <laughs> She's like, you're what? Meh. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I did see a slew of movies. Go ahead. Let's talk about it. We start with, um, I'm going to just get, go down the list. You talk to me about all of them. Give me your sound bites on all of them. I will give them to you. Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit, everyone needs to see. Everyone needs Why? to see Jojo Rabbit. Jo- Jojo Rabbit, directed by Taika Waititi, who is from um, 
what we do in the shadows. He is he's he's directed the Thor Ragnarok movie. Like he is a um, he's a very quirky, eccentric uh, director, um, half Jewish, half uh, native um, native New Zealander. And he directed this parody film, this satirical film about a young uh, a young boy in Nazi Germany who was a Nazi youth um, whose imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it's very it's very well done. It's very biting and very dark. I've heard really uh, great things about that. But it is very good. Yeah. And like you the the parallels um, of it and just like all the stuff with Hitler, this like anachronistic, um, kind of goofy Hitler. Um, Scarlett Johansson's very good in it. Mm-hmm. F- really funny moments with Sam Rockwell and Rebel Wilson. Uh, but it is, it's a very good film. Nice. Yeah. Um, th- the next one on our list, I kind of don't want you to talk about, but I've been told to not, to go to see Parasite without knowing anything about it. So what I, this is what I'll say. So we'll have our own separate conversation after you see it. Got it. Okay. But I will say this about Parasite. I saw Jojo Rabbit and Parasite the same night. Okay. So and that was a lot. Like and when you see it, you when you see them both you'll understand. And Parasite is um it's 2 hours. It is uh subtitled, so you are reading the whole time. Uh-huh. It is a Korean film by um, the director of Okja from Netflix and Snowpiercer. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and basically it's about, um, it's about class. But, yeah. like, this, could, this is taking place in, like, Korea. It could take place in any city. Uh-huh. And there, it is not horror, but there are horrific things that happen. And it is best to go in to Parasite with knowing nothing. The only thing I went in with Parasite knowing is the fact that um, people, a lot of cultural people who I trust are saying that this is the best movie of the year. Interesting. I've heard that from a lot of people too. And it is very good. I want to watch it again so badly, but I want to watch it in my home uh-huh. where I can see it because it is just, I really hope that, I really hope that it is recognized by all the awards for the genius work that it is because the dialogue is very great and it's just it's really good. Mm-hmm. So, yes, go see Parasite. Okay. And, you know, again, bring your reading glasses and get ready because it, it's it's a lot. Yes. But very good. Interesting. Um, Parasite, how I felt after watching Parasite was how I wanted to feel after watching Joker. How people told me I was going to feel after watching uh-huh. Joker. And I've mentioned this to you. I was like, it's not officially on the list. I did see it. And it was... It was meh. Like, you know, I felt about Joker the way you feel about The Irishman. Mm-hmm. So Parasite is what the, the movie that people really need to watch. Okay. High recommendations. Yes. Um, do you give the same high recommendation to Charlie's Angels? <laughs> you know. Hey, Charlie. The, the thing I will say about this film is that Elizabeth Banks directed a very fun action film. Like, let's just recognize that, one. Two, it takes place in the same universe as the other two Charlie's Angels films. Interesting. But it handles it in a very different way. Okay. Um, it is fun. It is a something you should see with the family. It is nothing. It's just beautiful diversion. 
I I don't think it deserved all the hate that it got. <laughs> and did I, it get some hate? It got some hate. It got it was not a success, and it was critically it was critically panned, and then it was panned by fans as well. I heard that Kristen Stewart was bombing that though. She was. Yeah. She was one of the best, and I was like, wow, this is Kristen Stewart being Kristen Stewart, but like she looks so comfortable. Like, I felt like we were watching her be herself and Mm -hmm. no longer having to hide behind, like, oh, my God, I have this secret. I'm in the closet. Yeah. Like, just being this very, you know, open figure. And it's her her sexuality is never explicitly addressed, although Uh we can speculate. Um, It's got uh, one of the hot guys from (laughs) – it's got one of the hot guys from uh, Crazy Rich Asians in it. Mm. The groom. Um, Yeah. And – but yeah, it's really great. Also, like they they have some great cameos in it too. Yeah. And I really hope that they get to make at least two more because I think that this is a really fun film. Cool. So that's that's what I have to say about well, Charlie's Angels. Yeah, I I would expect it to be fun, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a franchise. It's a franchise. It, it's how they deal with the franchise is very masterful. And, like, there's a reveal at the end mm-hmm. that I think is really great in how they're dealing with the whole who Charlie is type thing. Mm-hmm. And, but, yeah, it's very good. Cool. Love it. Ford versus Ferrari. Um, yeah, if you want to take your mask brother-in-law or your father <laughs> um, or your father-in-law to a film, you should take them. If, if they like cars, um Basically, Ford versus Ferrari chronicles uh, the story of when the Ford company was uh, experiencing some troubles, and a young up-and-comer named Lee Iacocca decides that um, he is going to, basically the way that they put themselves on the map is to win a race, and to win a race against Ferrari. Because in the in the context of the film, it's like Ferrari doesn't sell as many Ferrari doesn't sell as many cars, but people want it because of what it represents. It's fast, all this stuff. How can we make a car that will do that? So they go and they enlist uh, Carol Shelby, who um, you know car people will know as the automaker um, and engineer that created the Shelby GT um, version of the Mustang, mm-hmm. and they. And it goes through the experiencing of how he basically engineered the car that beat Ferrari at this, like, world-renowned race. Cool. Um, Christian Bale's in it, and he gives a really great performance as this, like, you know, as the uh, troubled uh, <laughs> the troubled driver that nobody wants, but he is the best man for the job. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Who plays Lee Iacocca? Lee Iacocca is played by John Barenthal, mm-hmm. who was, um, I'm not sure where you may know him from, because um, he's in a lot of stuff that is nerd shit. <laughs> nerd shit. Hold on. Uh, John ba- I'm trying hey, to Hey, Siri, think. who is John Barenthal? <laughs> he's the Punisher. He's, uh, he was Shane on The Walking Dead. He. Um, Hold on, Siri is still picking up what you're saying. She, even Siri, Siri doesn't, doesn't even really know. know. Sorry, uh, I'm just trying to think of what else you may know him from. Uh, but yeah, he plays Lee Iacocca. Okay. Tracy Letts plays um, Henry Ford the <laughs> second, oh. which is very good. Like, there's some good moments in there cool. with him, and then some very like renowned Italian actor plays uh, Old Man Ferrari. Okay. Because there's a lot of there's stuff with with Old Man Ferrari in there too, and. Mm-hmm. It was also just another fun movie, cool. really, you know, fascinating. Saw that at the drive-in. Um, lots the of drive-in. Ugh, yeah. I haven't been to drive-in in a minute. Drive-ins are fun. They are fun. Yeah, I've been going with this guy that I've been dating, and we we 
like he has really great speakers in his car mm-hmm. and um he listens hi babe uh we, and it's just so it, it's so nice because it's like you you're just kind of like you're just there and it's two movies too mm-hmm. like it's a double feature so Sweet. so yeah we we really liked it i i i really enjoyed it but mm-hmm. i also love like zoom zoom stuff like that mm-hmm. so very cool. Um, I'm really curious to hear about your take on the next film that we need to discuss. And this is the last of the movie section. Um, tell me about Knives Out. Uh, so I thought that Knives Out was going to be a letdown because of how much they promoted it. Uh-huh. It was like the preview in front of every movie that I saw prior to uh-huh. um, prior to seeing it. Yeah. But I was curious enough that I was like, okay, well, let's see. It's got Tony Collette and... You know, Captain Von Trapp and, and yeah. uh, Don Johnson, Jamie Lee Curtis. It's got names in it. It's very good. It's uh-huh. a very, it's an interesting. Lucy Liu is in that too, right? Uh, no, not Lucy Liu. Um, she's not in Knives Out. Um, I saw her in the promo for it. No, um, there is. No, she's not in this one. But what um, was I seeing then? She was just like this. This film is a very interesting take on a murder mystery. Um, and I don't want to give anything away because it, it is a film that you should also go in not knowing, not knowing much. Um, but it has a very, very ensemble cast mm-hmm. and they do a really good job. Christopher Plummer is one of the, my favorite things about this. Christopher Plummer and Tony Collette are one of my favorite things about this. Yeah. I think I saw her in some, I saw, I'm still like on this Lucy Liu thing. I saw her in some kind of intro to like to knives out yeah there was some kind of commercial or something where she was promoting it or something i i don't know i'm i'm at a loss i no but she she isn't in it but i mean that could have only sought to make it better for me because mm-hmm. it was it was very it was very well done so nice. knives out go see it it almost has been advertised as like a modern day clue almost. it's like it's like clue it's very like it's agatha christie it's kind of like a mouse trap yeah like it's very um it's very in that way but it's it's different and okay. like ryan johnson who directed it um who also directed Star Wars, uh, he, one of the Star Wars films, uh, he just does something really cool with it. And it's, it's just, it's also a lot of fun. So, so go see it down. Love it. Yes. Let's move into our television. Yes. Tell me. Um, we've already covered our glitter sports. Thank heavens. But let's talk about queer eye in Japan, which is a limited series, so it was just six episodes, six, four episodes. Um, I think it was four. I think it was four episodes in Japan. Uh, those four episodes were so emotional, and I feel like I felt like it got back to the original, like season one of Queer Eye mm-hmm. that had come out what two, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, because those first two seasons that they shot in like the Midwest were so strong. Uh, we're in Atlanta, I think. Were those um, in Georgia, yeah. Georgia, yeah. Um, those two seasons were so strong. And then it kind of got like a little muddled, but bringing it to Japan felt, um, it just got back to like so much of the joy and the heart of what Queer Eye is in the sense that like just tackling like language barriers and cultural barriers and just getting into the like we're human and and we all struggle with the same things and um, 
like the intimacy issue, the husband who was like, you know, like uh, struggling with intimacy with his wife and the woman who was the caretaker. Oh, yeah. Who uh, basically put everyone before herself. Yes. And then like the young girl who was an artist, but like not connecting with her family. It's very shy. Yeah. Like, oh, God. The young man who, like, you know, is bringing his was Western, gay. yeah, gay, and yeah. bringing his, like, Western boyfriend to, you know. All of the episodes had, like, really beautiful moments there. Did you, what were your thoughts on the season? I really was curious how they were going to handle Anthony co- basically cooking Japanese to Japanese people. Uh-huh. Um, I thought that they did an, I thought they did a, a decent job at navigating that uh-huh. because it can get a little bit like, you know, a little King and I, you know, yeah. and, and that's what, <laughs> <laughs> and I really was like on the lookout for that. I thought that they were respectful. I did appreciate that they did bring like their cultural, mm-hmm. like their cultural advisor um, yes. I- into it and, and having those moments of like connecting and, um, bringing in people from like actual Japanese culture yeah. to talk to them about certain things. And um, I didn't appreciate any of when they wanted any of the cutesy Japanese things um, that like. they like, I, just like when they were like, when Tan would be like, are you ready in J- Japanese? And they would be like, you know, hi. And I'm like, no, we can yeah. just, we can get, we can get rid of that. Uh-huh. But like, I thought that it, I thought like you, like you said, it got back to the original magic of what we wanted it mm-hmm. to be, of what the show originally was. Yeah, it was really great. I also, I watched this in conjunction with reading JVN's book. Yes. Uh huh. Um, did you read it or listen to it or no? no? Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah, he's so wonderful. I mean, knowing that all of that is, contained in he's so wonderful yeah. and knowing that like he was working on his book while in japan mm-hmm. um it just kind of brought it all kind of full circle and knowing more of his story and his recovery and uh there was a lot of there was just a lot of like really beautiful full circle humanity happening within that season and i loved it I will say my favorite reno was uh, of Bobby's work was the bedroom for the girl. Yes, because the upstairs downstairs. Oh, oh my god! Because I thought that that was very clever. The drawers and the uh-huh. the drawers in the in the staircase and uh-huh. just like you know, how can you make the most of like such a little space? So yeah, I really loved that in that episode. The the connection with the mother piece of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, who was that? Was that Karamo? Who um, was that down? Well, I mean, I, I, well, Anthony, you know, Anthony just famously has no relationship with his, with mother. his mother. Yeah. So, you know, we, yeah. so I think like even just calling that out, like, you know, she wants you to be there. Yeah. And, you know, do you see that you're being harsh with her? And, yeah. Um, part of me was like, mm, are we being a little white savory here? But like, Yes, there are cultural differences there, but also, like, when that mom kind of realized, oh, I am a cold bitch, okay. Or, like, I didn't know that you were being bullied. Yeah. Like, why didn't you tell I me? I know that about you. Or, like, I do want to yeah. say that I love you, and, yeah. yeah. Like, when she kind of, like, it was also uncomfortable where she was like, yeah, she's just this kind of lazy and doesn't do anything. And I'm like, she's probably dealing with issues that you just don't talk about. There's probably some mental health and depression happening in there. So, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, I really appreciated, like, everything that they touched on in that episode. Really, really great. 
I want to talk about The Little Mermaid live. <laughs> Tell me. Because you did not. I did not. I you did. I, I, I kind of wanted to after your glowing review. No, I want to say this, listeners, sevens. I went into this with a very skeptical <laughs> what the fuck. Because there was... There was a lot of uncertainty around what they were advertising this as. Like, was this a completely live show? They're splicing it with the movie. What? Like, it was so confusing. Was it basically what they did at the Hollywood Bowl? Yeah, was it the Hollywood yeah. Bowl that they're reimagining? Like, there was so much what the fuck. So, it begins with Jodie Benson, who was the original voice of Ariel. Uh, and she talks about, like, setting up the evening. And it's on a stage, for mm-hmm. sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, tonight you'll be watching the original movie spliced with live performance. And a very unique take on all of this stuff. Josephine. <laughs> I was like, okay, Jody Benson, I'm skeptical. And then the shit started. And I started weeping. <laughs> And I may or may not have stopped weeping when it ended. Oh, my God. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. Um, so many things about it were just, like, really seamlessly done. Um, they did play the movie. And then spliced with live performance like the movie would fade out when live performers came on and that was done so creatively with puppetry with color with uh pieces in the audience with things from the ceiling it was colorful it was energetic the performances were really bomb uh that sweet little boo-boo who played prince eric who was on the good wife oh okay he was the son on the good wife okay um he was really great. And, of course, Ariel was really great. She was the original Moana. Yes. The voice of Moana. Um, Alihi Kovalo. Yes. Yes. And so, like, they were wonderful. Shaggy? Shaggy. <laughs> Shaggy served his purpose I just want to, like, Under the Sea or Kiss the Girls, like, r- mashup of, like. He did okay with Under the Sea. It wasn't me. No, no, no. Like, with Kiss the Girl was really good. Under the sea, there was a moment where, like, because that was his first big feature, and there was there was a moment where he, it felt like he dropped a lyric or something, and and so it felt a little muddy, shitty. But um, Queen Latifah really, like, it was about her. It was all about her. Like, her costume was fucking flawless, and she can sing her face off. So she owned every second of her performance. Because, you know, she has her one money song, that's it. Uh, and she just tore the damn house down. It was like Oh, you really have to, amazing. yeah. It was amazing. Um, John Stamos played Louis the Chef. Not so great. <laughs> <laughs> Not so great, but I will say he was living his best life. <laughs> like, he, he was enjoying the hell out of himself. Not to the like benefit of any of us watching. I mean, we do have to remember that uh John Stamos did was on Glee for a minute. So, you was know. Was he? Yeah, he was. Who did he play on Glee? 
He was the one. He was the boyfriend and of um, Emma Pillsbury. For, he was there during Rocky Horror, and then he was there during one of the Britney episodes. Oh, yeah. wow! Way to pull that deep from the archives. Because yeah, I'm a fag. Yes, <laughs> all the way in Gay Corner. Uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> Thank God for your Gay Corner. Um, okay, well maybe yeah. maybe that will. I mean, I be viewing. loved it. Like from beginning to end, I was like, "This is," and I was a skeptical bitch about it. But as soon as it started, I was like, oh, what am I watching? Mm -hmm. Oh, why am I loving this? Oh, what is this wetness coming out of my eyeballs? Oh, my God. What is happening? It was wonderful. It was really, really good. Um, Imperfect, obviously, but really, really great. (sighs) Um, The Sesame Street 50th anniversary celebration. Did you see that? No, I did not. Okay. Again, another thing that I wept through. Let's talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt hosting that. No, he did? He sure oh, did. Oh, my God. And it was charming as hell. It was so great. It was like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Um, talk about the perfect person to host that, though. Really great. Yeah. Really, really, really great. Um, literally, like, brought back all of the old Muppets from, like, the discontinued Sesame Street characters. Oh, like, shit. from my era, like, Don Music and, like, Guy Smiley, like, all of the old Muppets, like, made cameos and they brought them back. And um, all of the old guard, all of the Sesame Street original cast, so Luis, Maria, everyone was there. Um, it was just a really wonderful celebration for anybody who grew up in the era of the first wave of Sesame Street. Like, there's no way that you could watch that without being emotional. It was really, really great. Um, And as we know, Sesame Street is being nominated, is being honored at the Kennedy Center Honors this month Mm -hmm. uh, in two weeks. And so that's going to, I'm sure, be another emotional mess for us. Frank Oz has a part in Knives Out. Oh. Yes. Just so you know, he's actually, Thank you. he's a, he's a very small part, uh-huh. but he's hilarious. Of course he is. He steals the show. So yes. Nice. Frank Oz. Good to know. Um, we have to talk about the stuffy whites. Uh, yeah. We have to get into the Appre- crown. Appreciate. <laughs> the crown. The crown. Appreciate the, the crown. crown. Season three, we have now moved into the new guard. Oh. Of now, like, phase two of casting. Yes. Which I thought worked really well. I uh, did, too. Talk to me about your thoughts on that season. The crown, well, to start the whole season off with, like, her watching her, like, approving her aged self. <laughs> uh, and it's just, like, you know, all of the, basically, like, signaling this is a new time. Um, the only person who is played the same characters is uh, John Lithgow as Winston Churchill. But you know, for like a hot second, for like a hot second, he yeah. mean, he was old as fuck mm-hmm. already, so you know, didn't matter. Mm-hmm. But he, but oh my god, Olivia Coleman, Olivia Coleman, serving it as the queen again. Oh my god, she's so good. And then the actor who played Charles, the actor who played Philip, yeah, the actor who played Philip had a real strong season. Yes, he did. Tobias Menezes has. Um, he people know him probably from um, Outlander, but mm-hmm. he was he was great as Philip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Phil, still a cad, still still a dick, but my God, did really well. So good. Even like all of the shit with like Camilla, 
and learning all of that. Do you think they're trying to make it so... I asked this of Joshua on the other podcast. Do you think that they're trying to make us feel sorry for Charles? I think the world already feels sorry for Charles. Yeah, but, like, we're heading into the 80s soon, and the 80s is, like... Where he cheated on Diana. Yeah, 80s and, like... Yes, but they're setting it up so, like, we understand. Because Camilla was at the wedding. Mm -hmm. Was at Charles and Diana's wedding. Like, Camilla never went away from his life. No. So, like, they were forcibly separated. She was forced into the Bowles-Parker marriage. Oh, yeah. Um, Made me hate the Queen Mother again. Parker Bowles. (laughs) Parker Bowles? Uh, Camilla Parker Bowles, yes. Parker Bowles. Yeah. Queen Mom, yeah. Queen, I I, I was like, oh, my God. I I thought she was just going to be, like, ditzy. And no. I was like, oh. She's real manipulative. Yeah, she's being manipulative again. Mm -hmm. When... When QE2 summons them, and she's like, can you please send Queen Elizabeth and Lord Mountbatten here? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, exactly. Ah! Yeah. Um, the third episode with the mining disaster in Wales. Wrecked me dead. Watch that at work. Should not have. <laughs> oh, my God. I watched that when I was in Rome at my sister's house. I was, like, awake late at night. I was like, let me just watch an episode before I go to bed. I Did you hug the children? Destroyed. Like, <laughs> I was sitting there just, like, silently weeping, trying not to wake anyone up. And I was like, ugh. I, a mess. I mess. But a mess. so beautifully done. Yeah. Really, really beautifully done. I don't know. I mean, like, really, really kind of paid tribute to the people of Wales this season did. Very much so. Yeah. Really um, did. The breakout, I mean, Helena Bottom Carter got her two episodes. Oh, God, yeah. And she was amazing. God, she's so good in everything. Um, I liked Tony more in this season. Uh-huh. And he was like, he didn't have that punchable face uh, that Matthew Good has playing him. Yeah. Uh, playing Snowden and the other ones. Um, uh, I'm kind of here for Porchy. <laughs> Who's Porchy? Porchy is her her companion who, like... He's, she's, they kind of hint that she's the one she should have married. He's the one she should have married in like seasons one and two. He's the one who's in charge of her horses. Oh, yeah. Drink up, Porchy. We're going home. That's right. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But yes, Porchy. And again, this is like my, my love of Uh minutiae is like the crown and Game of Thrones. Like I know all the characters Mm -hmm. and it took a minute because like. And remind me who Dickie is. So Dickie, Lord Mountbatten, AKA AKA Dickie. Is is, Philip's father. Is Philip's uncle. Oh, Philip's um his his sister is Princess Alice, the nun. So got it. So that's his sister, and got it. But here's the so here's the thing, right? He in in that episode of the coup, he it is said that he is the second cousin of the queen. So not only is he the second cousin of the queen, he is also the queen's uncle in law, essentially. There's there's um there's now. there's some cousin fucking going on in there's I mean cousin fucking going on in the royal in the royal yeah. family but so that's who he is and because he he also is like this war hero and he he was very like lusty for power and having and placing Philip you know he kind of was Philip's mentor and father figure mm. which was awful because I blame him <laughs> for making I blame him for introducing Philip to those bad habits mm-hmm. but then they also did the same for Charles he basically became Charles's advisor mm-hmm. and that's where you get you know and also yeah. <laughs> and also like that actor plays a very 
um, a very similar type of role in Game of Thrones. Uh So I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect casting right here. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the former king and his (sighs) death. Yes. God, that was so well done. Well done, but it sets it up. It provides... Like, mm. the beauty of the show is that it is providing a context for the for what we know is mm. happening in what we know is going to happen. Uh-huh. And all of that in their letter writing and, like, you know. Yeah. Elizabeth, like, trying to reconcile her or reconcile her her identity as mother, but also as sovereign mm-hmm. and how it's like, you know, well, you're the queen and you're going to, you're, you're going to get an insight into, you know, a king and, and, and just how she said it, where it was like, you know, he, he's someone who, you know, he can ask an advice from a king from someone who has been king. Yeah. And even though he wasn't a successful king. Yeah. Um, and then all of that stuff and how they handled it and, um, that final yeah. scene between the queen and Margaret. Oh, after post-suicide attempt. Yeah, when Margaret's in bed and she's just explaining, like, no, this falls on you. And this is your role is to be steady. Your role is to not react. Like, that is what you do. And that is how you are not useless. And that is, you are the steady that we need. Oh, God. But to give that to Margaret, like, mm-hmm. that's the, like, the 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 whole essence of the that's show. That's it. It's like, and so that I can keep that being way. crazy because you're stable. It was like. Exactly. But, like, and then she was just like, well, you're obviously going to divorce him. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, good, because, like, we just saw two seasons of how you fucked Margaret over. Yeah. That she's just like, well, you know, if it's, if, if, if me being me is going to drive you to the point of wanting to end it all then you can have you can have your divorce and be done with it but like there's just such love between the sisters and how good they are to each other like it was lovely yeah it was lovely so 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 good um princess anne yes Bad fucking ass. Bad fucking ass. Just amazing. Princess Anne for president. Like, Princess Anne. Yeah. Like, and that actress looks exactly like her. Yeah. And, like... And then there's... Wait. The other two siblings are... Are Andrew and um, Prince Andrew. And um, so it's it's Charles and um, Andrew and Edward. Edward, thank you. Yeah. Andrew's the one who's like wrapped up in the Jeffrey Epstein. Yes, Fergie's bullshit. ex-husband. Yes. Yes. So we'll we'll hear from him later. Fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. It's a mess, but like, here's the thing: we're we're gonna come up on not only Princess Anne's like Olympic gold medal or Olympic silver medal, mm-hmm. but we're also gonna come up on her kidnap attempt. Like in the next in because like historically I that's don't where know we are. Any of this? Oh, I fell on a I fell down a deep hole. Like I bet you did <laughs> uh, um, about a. Um, when this all was going down, I was like, oh, my God, because as we're I don't know how far they're going to take this, but like we still have the 80s to go. And in the 80s, you got AIDS, you got Margaret Thatcher and the mining strike. You meet Diana. You have the royal wedding Mm -hmm. like you. This is like late 70s, I think, is post is a princess uh, princess Anne's like kidnapping attempt in front of her in front of her soon to be husband at the time. Mm -hmm. Like there's still a lot more to come. Yeah. It's so good. I want this show to never die. I love it so much. No, I mean, you know, this, it, it's great because it's like, this is no spoilers. This all happened. But, like, it's beautiful to see how they put it all together. And mm-hmm. it's all conjecture, but it's, like, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's real, And it's so respectfully done. 
Yeah. I, mean, I hope that, yeah. like, I would hope that the royal family, like, sees the love and care and respect that their story is being told with. Yeah, because, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's historic. Like, yes, it's there might be a touch of historical, I don't want to say fiction, but, like. License. Assumption. Yeah. License taken in order to just kind of flesh out the story. But it's also, like, it's history. It's there. It's happened. and Exactly. And, and it's just. It's so beautifully done. Like, nothing about the series is half-assed. No, and it, it humanizes them in a way that, like, even they struggle with that. So, like, yeah. her, the struggle of, like, I need, I'm a human being, but I'm also this, like, figurehead. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that that's something that they should, I hope that they appreciate, mm-hmm. is the fact that, like, you know, in an age where we really don't have to feel sorry for, like, rich white people, we we kind of see the human aspects and the, to- like, literally heavy is the head, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Prime Minister Wilson, like he was, he was really great. He was great. wonderful. Yeah. And I love that he got reelected. <laughs> yes. He was just like, well, right before he had to dip out. Like, listen, well, at least we got rid of that prick for you. So yeah. There you go. Um, and she was like, I missed you. <laughs> I know. I missed you. He was like, I and missed hey, you. And invite me to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. That Wilson. was an honor. There were just so yeah. many gems in this season. It, so many yeah. really beautiful moments. Um, the crown just keeps getting like stronger and stronger and. And, like, just really beautiful work. Yeah, and we're going to have to wait another whatever to see, you know. I don't care. I'm here for it. I'll wait yeah. for it. I don't even fucking care. Um, I love it. I want to talk a little bit about breakfast, lunch, dinner with Chef David Chang. Yes. Of Momofuko. Momofuko of Mapesh. Mm-hmm. Um, I did eat at his uh, I did eat at his restaurant in New York when I went. I mm-hmm. ate at Momofuko. Mm-hmm. Um, had a very nice, lovely uh, bacony ball of uh, bacony uh, bowl of noodles. Uh huh. He, um, I, I was curious about this series on Netflix, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, because I was going to Morocco with my sister, mm-hmm. and so hence I'm jet lagged and kind of falling asleep through this whole episode <laughs> we're recording yes. right now. You'll but, listen and you'll be like, "Oh, I said that." <laughs> oh, I said that. That's right. Um, so my sister and I had this trip planned for my 40th birthday to um marrakesh and we knew that we were going to morocco we had certain things planned but both of us like neither of us had ever been to africa we had no idea what to expect you know we had read some books but we were just really excited to go and explore um around the same time that i see like right as i'm getting ready to leave i see this series on netflix breakfast lunch dinner and there's an episode in there where david chang basically Every episode is him exploring the food of a city, a breakfast, lunch, and dinner uh, in a city with a celebrity. So he did Vancouver with Seth Rogen. Yes, which was hilarious. Yeah. And I also didn't know any of that about Vancouver. Oh, how, yeah, yeah. How it's like the city of immigrants. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he did Marrakesh with Chrissy Teigen. Yeah, because apparently they love... Her and John and the kids love to go to Mar- like love to go to Morocco. Yeah, so she talks about how like she has been to Marrakesh... Uh, several times and not really gotten out and seen the city and having now been there I understand that <laughs> like mm-hmm. that like it's very easy to go to Marrakesh and stay in a beautiful resort in the middle of the desert and have hammams and treatments done and relax and and eat amazing food right then and there you know um 
so the idea is like they they have breakfast, lunch, and dinner in Marrakesh, and they learn a little bit about the city and all of that. So um, that, to be honest, that is the only episode I've watched of that series. But my sister and I both watched it, and they had the traditional Moroccan breakfast with honey and with breads and breads and breads on breads on breads. Um, and then they they walked through the souks, which mm-hmm. we did, which is like just the most elaborate maze mm-hmm. of beautiful flea market, like high-end bazaar. Is that in the um, the old city, in the it's Medina? It's in the Medina, yeah. it's uh, The souks are like dead center in Marrakesh. And then um, they have, like, they learned how to make tagine and uh, and they learned how to kind of cook with a family that's outside of the Medina. And uh, so it was just, it was really interesting to kind of see this series explored through this world famous chef uh, while literally being there and doing those things, mm-hmm. <laughs> like walking around and seeing those things as well. How much tagine did you have? Every single day. Yeah. Um, because, and that Annie and I kept like kind of laughing about that. It was like, what are you having for lunch? Tagine. What are you having for dinner? Tagine. Um, because it's just. It's how they cook it. It's, it's how they cook it. Yeah. The tagine is actually like the vessel in which they cook, like the clay, um, like kind of teepee pot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what's inside of it varies, you know. So like you can have vegetable tagine, you can have. Chicken tagine. Chicken, pork, beef, what have you. Um and so I literally, I ate vegetarian tagine all week long with couscous, like all week long for lunch and dinner and then like breads on breads on breads. Um, and so they even say in this episode too, like people who come to visit for a week, they're sick of tagine by the end of the week. Um, but Moroccans are not because that's just what we eat every day. And, yeah. um, and yeah, Annie and I were definitely ready for other kinds of foods <laughs> by the end of the week. We were like, we need to mix this up a little bit. Um, but it was a really, really beautiful city. Um, we learned a lot about it and we learned a lot about like government and, and the artwork and we saw some cool museums and, um, and it was really, really great. But to tie it in with like this series then also like exploring food around the world, that was kind of, yeah, it, it's must they're living it. It was cool. And, and I've taken to doing that in the, you know, in the last few years where it's like, oh, if I'm about to go do something, I will like watch something about it mm-hmm. just to at least have some idea, you know, from a documentary that I trust. Uh, definitely recommend breakfast, lunch, dinner. It's David. It's David Chang at his like most unfiltered, like uh-huh. him and Seth Rogen are literally smoking pot the entire time. Yeah. And he's kind of picking up the mantle of like. Bourdain, but it's uh-huh. he's just not as eloquent. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just very yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's very real and he I'm like, oh my God, this like larger than life chef with Michelin stars is like a person. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Chrissy Teigen giving him father fa- like parenting advice. Exactly. Um but definitely get when you get to the LA episode with Lena Waith and then the food that they experience there is very interesting. That's and, cool. And talking about all that. Yeah. So yes, please. Netflix breakfast, lunch, dinner. shit going on. Um, in local theater news, you saw Cambodian Rock Band. I did. I did. Oh, my God. Um, Cambodian Rock Band was... Uh, at La Jolla Playhouse. At La Jolla Playhouse. It was, it's the Oregon Shakespeare Festival production. It came directly from there after, mm-hmm. it's, uh, after it sat there for a little bit. It's uh, played by uh, playwright Lauren Yee, who is a UCSD uh, alum, I believe the M- an MFA alum. Uh-huh. And it's basically the story of um, 
Um, it's a story of a family um, who have well, who's the father has returned to Cambodia where her where his daughter is working and talking about that and and it's this infusion of music which the music is by this band a LA based band called Dengue Fever cool. and it's just like to hear Cambodian language spoken and to learn to and to and I didn't know anything next to nothing about the Khmer Rouge. Um, Except for actually what I what I watched in a an episode of No Reser- of uh, Parts Unknown with uh, mm-hmm. Bourdain, but to talking about the Khmer Rouge and it's very intense, but it's very beautifully done and it's it's the music is interspersed in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very just on representation alone. I, I, I think that it's it's one of the it's one of the more interesting pieces of theater that I've seen this year. Very cool. How long is it playing? Um, I believe it's playing here in San Diego until mid-December. Uh-huh. So you may have a couple more weeks. I don't know if it's going to be extended because I hear that it is going to New York after mm-hmm. this. So Wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And the cast that's doing it, they're playing all the instruments. They are the band. Yeah. And they have been doing this for a while. Yeah. And you can feel that. Mm-hmm. And Lauren Yee is a, a like a local playwright, like you said. Mm-hmm. And she was a young artist here in San Diego who was one of the young writers who had her plays selected by the Playwrights Project. Oh, the wow. The Plays by Young Writers Festival. That's awesome. Like back in the day when she was a young, young writer. Um, so to see her kind of come into the success now is, yeah, is and really exciting. I think she's workshopping stuff right now at the Geffen Playhouse. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's... It's and I will say this that there there are performances by two of the two of the actors there where they transition into older and younger versions of themselves mm-hmm. almost instantaneously and the the character who's kind of narrating everything I, there's a scene where he is getting older mm-hmm. and he changes his shirt he puts his hair down but like I saw the transformation wow. and it was very like it was so magical in that moment of what good performance can do where it's just like, I now believe having you have not gone through any makeup and you didn't leave the stage once, but I now believe that you are 40 years older than you are now. Fuck. I love theater. It's so good. That yeah. shit's so good. The, sh- the subtle changing in lighting. And this is just like, and I was like, Oh shit. I see you as an old man. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's subtle, exciting. not overwrought. Yeah. I love it. It was great. I love it. All right, are you ready for my um, I saw it on a plane section? Okay, now I have not shared any of these with Josephine yet. I am, I was like, I need to experience this live live and in person because then then you're going to hear a oh, because you have not seen these before, right? I have not seen these. Okay, here we go. Now, as we've already discussed, I saw the Irishman on the plane. Yes. Okay. I read Catch and Kill, the entire book. Yes. Or audiobook on the plane. Um, now, the two movies that I decided to take advantage of from Lufthansa. Ah, thank you, Lufthansa. Thank you, Lufthansa. Um, was Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I just did it involuntarily. Oh, oh okay. With okay. Uh, Kate Blanchett? Correct. And, and Where Did She Go? Where Did She Go, Bernadette? Um, <laughs> I expect that. I expect that kind of shit from Lufthansa. Yeah, where did you yeah. go, Lufthansa? Where did you go? Um, so where'd you go, Bernadette? Was like a New York Times bestseller, and I read it. It was a weird fucking book about a weird quirky mom who just kind of disappears from her family and like 
And then, like, the daughter is, like, searching for the mom. And where did she go? And it turns out she's on this, like, adventure to Antarctica. And they find her in Antarctica. And, but she's this, like, genius retired architect. And uh, it's a weird-ass story. And I, in my opinion, like, the edits that they made from book to film, like, they edited out some of the best stuff from the book. Oh. So there was this whole like subplot of like an affair happening with like the dad and everything in the book that did not happen in the movie. Oh. And I was disappointed because it's like basically this mom is like mean girled out of her own town, right? And she's just like extremely introverted and and has been through some trauma and needed her space to go and like kind of get her collective artistic brain back. Um and she's mean girled out of her town by like all these mean moms at, at her daughter's school. And she ends up in Antarctica. And she ends up in Antarctica, yeah. Wow. I know. So adaptation problems. So adaptation problems because Kristen Wiig plays the the nosy neighbor, like the mean mean girl neighbor. And then there's another woman who plays uh another mean mom who winds up like in the book having an affair with the dad. <gasps> and ultimately getting pregnant from that dad. Um, and all of that subplot was eliminated from the movie. I'm like, such a bad choice. Like that could have and should have made this movie much richer. Yeah. And in the book, the Kristen Wiig character plays much more of a role in Bernadette's escape, like turning from a mean mom into like a, a redeemable character. And so that was all missing from the movie. So uh, meh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Exactly why I wait to see these things on a plane. On a plane. Exactly why I see it on a plane. The other thing I saw on the plane was Aladdin. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me say this. <laughs> Don't you look away from me, Josephine. Come back to your microphone. Laugh I'm very, out loud. I am very curious what you're going to <laughs> Live say. Live your life out loud. Here we go. I have not seen it. I know you haven't. I will not see I it. I know you won't. Okay. Here's why I saw it. Culturally problematic. Yes. The girl, the girl who plays Jasmine is in Charlie's Angels. Yes, she is. So the movie culturally was problematic. What I will say. Is that that sweet little brown boy who played Aladdin? He is a snack. (laughs) And he could get it. (laughs) Like he had something in his smile that was so inviting. (laughs) It made me feel feeling. Did you feel it in your cave of wonders? No, No, it's a child's movie. (laughs) But it was also like, oh, who who is this boy? Okay. Did you IMDb him and look up everything he I ever did been? I did not, but I appreciated some of the feminist choices that they made for Jasmine. Oh, okay. Um, so there was there were some good choices there. Was Jafar really gay? Jafar was the worst casting choice <gasps> ever. Oh. Like, that was a really poor casting choice. Even more than... He was way too young. Even more than Will Smith? Or was mm. Will Smith really good? Will Smith was not bad. I was not offended by him. I think that with that that character of the genie, yeah, there are always going to be the Robin Williams comparisons. But I love Robin Williams. That's why I'm not. Of course. Yeah. But when they took it to Broadway, 
right? Like, yeah, like I, th- they face the same problem there too. Like, how do we how do we replicate Robin Williams? And you don't. There's a Cab Calloway thing to the genie, right? Like on Broadway, there is at least. And in the movie, Will Smith brought this whole like different kind of like hip hop like comedy thing to it because Will Smith is not a singer. So he was No, he's off- a rapper. <laughs> he is, and he was auto-tuned the fuck mm. to the high heavens. <laughs> um, but I, I wasn't disappointed with it. I okay. thought that it was done okay. Some of the song like remixes were like a little like for like oh. one jump ahead of the cr- uh, uh, like, you know, like it was a little like Okay. Mm. <laughs> no, yeah, thank you. I was a little like, am I hating this? <laughs> with it i don't know <laughs> um yeah but the lufthansa steward is like that woman's head is turning so many things <laughs> yeah i was like shake of head eyebrow raise all right again i'm glad i didn't pay a ticket to <laughs> <laughs> you saw it on a plane I saw it on a plane um, but I tell you, I'm there for that boy who played Aladdin. Yes. I mean, he made it worth it. Okay. There it was. <laughs> there it was. <laughs> so here we are, our time listeners, seven hours later. Yes. Um, we are at the end of our November run yes. through. We're halfway through the Irishman right now. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you've been listening to us, yes. we're not even nearly done with the Irishman. Um, we have a lot coming up in December. Yeah. We're, clo- we're closing out year two of Art Time of the Month. High fives! High five! Yay, Yay sports! Yay, sports! Um, we literally just high-fived, in case you weren't listening. It was successful. It was a successful high-five. It happened and everything. Um, we are coming up in December. We have a lot to cover in December, of course. Kennedy Center honors are happening mid-month. Tiffany Haddish is coming out with a thing. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel's coming out. Oh with my a god! Thing. Yeah, it's um, all that to say we are also going to be hitting you with our special year in review episode, which I say with jazz hands, <laughs> it's with our a jazz year. hand rainbow, because it's my favorite episode of the year <laughs> where we break down our top five artistic moments of 2019. Our year in review. Our year in review. We're also going to be coming at you. In some way, shape, or form, we haven't really discussed it yet with our decade in review. A decade in review. A decade in review episode. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot to look forward to as we approach the end of this yes. decade. And we're going to end strong. We are because we have no other choice. Because yeah. <laughs> we're all there. All, also, I'm going to be 40. <gasps> I know. I've decided, like, I've. I think sometime around October, I was like, let the 40th birthday tour commence. Like Evita. Yes. Yes. Let's hear it for the 40th tour. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I went to Cuba. I went to Rome and Morocco. And all of the tour is happening. So in December, it becomes official. Oh, my God. And then we'll hear all about it. And then you will. But that will be on the 13th. Uh, Friday, Friday the 13th. Legit. Ring yes. the alarms. Wendy's 40. Yes. <laughs> there it is. Um, I might like come to your door and like play Ring the Alarm by Beyonce. <laughs> I would not be mad at Ring that. Ring the alarm. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying. 
I, why would I be mad at that? Uh, you wouldn't. You I wouldn't. know. It'd be better if you like stood at my balcony and did it. Yes. Woke like the neighbors. Like say anything style. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, but ring the alarm. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, did you have a good November? Yeah. I'm very, I'm very thankful for you and this podcast. I am thankful for you and this podcast and our sevens and of our listeners. And our sevens of listeners. Hey, sevens, we appreciate you. Yes, we do. We appreciate you. We appreciate you every day and every oh, month. Shout out to, uh, this is a new listener, shout yeah. out to my friend Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Who lives in, uh, in southern New Jersey. Hey, tri-state <laughs> area. What <laughs> up? To her, it, it was told to me that growing up, the city was Philadelphia for her. Oh. So not, you know, because she co-hosts a podcast, a horror podcast. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I started listening to Art Time. And I have to say that I love it because I'm knowing you in a different way. Yes. So I want to say shout out to Jackie because she is listening to my non-horror stuff. <laughs> and she's realizing how gay I am. Super so gay. So shout out to you, Jackie. So gay. If you've made it this far. And also, <laughs> I recognize you and honor you as a tri-state area sister. So yes. holler back. Holler back. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, friends. It's been a good one. Yeah. And there's more good goods to come. So stay with us and enjoy your time of the month. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>